Hey. Hi. We got sponsored by Camper. <laughs> I wish. I don't think they're fans of I us right now. I heard that people want to know how do I look. They do. They're really curious. You, you can describe it. You can start with the Camper shoes. <laughs> He's wearing some fantastic sandals today. No, Dorit, you have excellent style. I think I have excellent style too, even though I look <laughs> a little schlumpery today. Yeah, there were some speculations about what kind of hair you have that I was fielding from some of our loyal listeners. Uh, a lot of people were conjecturing that you have a Jufro. What does it mean? You don't know what a Jufro is? No. It's like, you know, do you remember back in the 70s and 80s? Like my dad had one of those, you know, with the curly hair and it's kind of like... I'm, I'm using my hands, which you're not supposed to do on radio because no one can see my hands right now. But it's, you know, just like kind of draw a halo around someone's head and then just have it be curls. But you, my friend, don't have a Jufro. You have voluminous, pretty straight hair, a little bit wavy, like a light wave, brown hairs, brown eyes. We're really similar looking kind of ish, though you're like tall and lanky and I'm I'm also relatively tall, but less lanky, fairly curvy, but you know, not, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's so freeing to be on radio because. I think we can start playing like 80s band. Oh, with you, th our hair. you think we could form like an 80s hair band? Exactly. But like a different kind of hair band. If anyone is here in Tel Aviv and. Um, I want to play the bass. Can cut my hair. I would really, I could use a haircut. Um, I don't know who. My hair guy went to America for a month in January and he hasn't come back, so. Thursday, October 26th. This is the 20th day of uh, fighting. Uh, we saw limited ground maneuver, the Israeli army, the IDF, going into the Gaza Strip, ground forces, uh, taking out um, anti-tank weapons, killing terrorists, and as the, the IDF tells us, they are preparing the area for a larger maneuver, but still nobody really has any clear idea of how to get to this objective of taking down Hamas. It, it, it might be an impossible mission, but so far the IDF is in limited um, maneuvers getting into the Gaza Strip and then coming back out. At the same time, uh, Hamas retaliates with um, heavy rocket fire into the center of Israel. It seems like the rocket launching abilities have not been harmed in any way. We know that they are very sophisticated in the way they can launch the, um, the rockets from within the populated areas of the Gaza Strip. IDF is still attacking by air. Uh, every day we get reports of this uh, uh, Hamas um, terrorist uh, killed, that Hamas terrorist killed, but we don't really know what, what it all means and why, if we knew about them, why didn't we kill them earlier? Uh, it's, these questions are not clear. Uh, the U.S. strikes in Syria. The U.S. has taken an active role in, in the northern front in retaliation for... Um, military actions on that side, Hezbollah, Iran-backed uh, Syrian uh, forces. Uh, so the U.S. has struck uh, a couple of targets in that area. It seems like mostly symbolic. I, I can't say exactly what that means. 
In Israel, we know now that over, over 100,000, 150,000 Israelis are displaced, have been either uh, run out of their villages in the case of, of the, the small kibbutzim near Gaza, houses burned, uh, hundreds of people murdered, but in, in a much larger scale, people were ordered to clear out. So 100 plus thousand of Israelis are now living uh, outside their home, told by the military to uh, get away from the danger zones in the borders in the north and in the south. This has been weeks now. Where are these people going to live? Are we going to go back to our borders? Are we going to go back to living in the towns near our borders? Or is this the reality? Are we going to get this country going to get smaller and smaller as we all huddle up in the middle of the country and have rockets fired on us? Unclear. And the kidnapped, the hostages... The official word is around 220-something confirmed people taken alive, including children, including infants, including elderly, sick women, of course, innocent civilians, and several foreigners, which will be um, a factor moving forward if uh, the countries like France and the UK and Canada and, and the US have to uh, take care of their citizens held captive underground by Hamas terrorists, we will see that developing. That's it for today. I think despair has really set in. There's a level of kind of despondency and there's this feeling that maybe we're in a holding pattern. I don't know. I, last night, there were air raid sirens and my mom called before the sirens just to see if I was okay. I thought she was going to call upset at me for, you know, addressing the family <laughs> in the recent episodes. But she was just like, are you okay? I heard that there's a lot of stuff going on in central Tel Aviv. Meanwhile, I was on the couch reading a book from the 80s about U.S. Jews during the Holocaust. I was in a completely different decade. And then uh, the neighbors from upstairs started banging furiously at the door. I, I didn't even hear the siren and there were booms and, and they came in because we don't have a safe room. I'm staying at another friend's place now. And um, there are a couple living upstairs and he he was just in his underwear and then he was like, oh, I'll grab a t-shirt from, you know, our friend Bar's room. And I was like, dude, we're way past that point. I'm wearing a robe right now. Like, you're good. Yesterday, I, I went to have lunch with a friend in Tel Aviv. She's like a sister. And then I, I saw her partner and he, he was telling me, you know, we might not go in at all. And I was like, what do you mean? Because last night or two nights ago, there was a news alert that people in the Gaza border communities were again told to shut their doors and stay inside because more terrorists had supposedly infiltrated. So, I mean, everyone, this podcast is called October 7th. I just want to clarify the, the security threat is ongoing in terms of Israel, not Israel. I, me reading this book, it's confirming things that I, I kind of knew from seventh grade when I was at a Jewish day school in South Florida and reading a lot of survivor testimonies and stories. 
I, I was really looking for my grandmother my whole life. She was in Auschwitz and she died when my mom was pregnant with me and, and no one knew her story. Elie Wiesel was one of the fiercest critics about kind of silence and complicitness that was coming from a lot of Jews in America. And reading this book, it's really harrowing. Like a lot of the, you know, Jews that are being tokenized now. Oh, there's that street cleaning truck again. Hold on, pause. I told you. Do you want to start from the beginning? No. Okay. Maybe I'll just explain why I'm not as focused this morning. But should we speak about that or should we speak about something that, you know, people could relate to? I think a lot of, well, first of all, it's really difficult keeping your, fo- I mean, a lot of people abroad are telling me that they're so distracted. They're like trying to manage their lives and they're like toggling between the news. So living here is obviously like not the most uh, focused, clear time. Right. But yeah, no. Yes. Can you take a topic and, you know, like stay Stay, stay between the lines. Can I, can I read something from the book? Yes. Is the same book you talked about? Yeah. Time frame, the Holocaust. Yeah, we're speaking about the Holocaust. Okay. So maybe we should start the whole episode from the beginning? No. Fuck. It's like you get one shot with Dora. If so you had I'm so... one shot, one opportunity, is that everything you ever wanted, one moment, na 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 You know, history repeats itself. You can think about how history repeats itself and then you can get really dejected and you can get really despondent. You can also say, if history is repeating itself, I'm going to look back into history and maybe it'll give me some insight of, into the present. And then from there, we can focus on the future. And that's probably why I grabbed this book from my personal home library which has a lot of crazy texts in it that I've inherited from lots of different people that have come into my life. And sometimes you don't really know why you have something and then later the answer reveals itself. So yesterday I went home to my studio and I, and I grabbed this book off the shelf. And there's something about a physical library that's really different than a digital library. When you're in a, the digital book space, you don't really just fall upon a book as easily. But when you're in a physical library, like a home library, a university library, whatever, you can scan the shelves with your eyes and you can grab the books with your hands and you can open them randomly to a page. And this book is called Where We Are Brothers Keepers, The Public Response of American Jews to the Holocaust. And because I'm such a fuzzy, random human, I don't really read books from the beginning to the end, typically. I, that was true before this started and it's definitely true now. And I read the preface by Elie Wiesel, which was powerful. And I read through the introduction. And then I jumped to the end about Hungarian Jewry, which is where my family was from. And the harrowing plight of the Hungarians who fell under Nazi occupation in 1944, in the same week that the white paper was released from British Mandate Palestine. And that was saying, no more Jews will get to Palestine. So the Hungarians were essentially trapped. And at that point in the war, the entire world knew that millions of Jews had been exterminated. 
And they talk about that in this book, how even when faced with the evidence, it was so beyond people's comprehension, even when survivors had like made it through during the war, had broken out of it, had broken out of the ghettos, had broken out of whatever and came to spread the message they were losing their minds because nobody believed them. And Elie Wiesel talks about how it was maddening even in the years that came after it. Nobody believed these people. And the very end of the book has a quote that I'd like to read. And it says, fear not your enemies for they can only kill you. Fear not your friends for they can only betray you. Fear only the indifferent who permit the killers and betrayers to walk safely on the earth. And this was written by someone named Edward Yashinsky, a Yiddish poet who survived the Holocaust only to die in a communist prison in Poland. There are harrowing stories that come out of Europe, harrowing stories that happened to people in my own family, not that many generations back, not even a hundred years ago. Today, when I was scribbling away at the cafe in the morning for hours, just trying to I don't even know, ground myself. At one point, this Phil Collins song, you know, In the Air Tonight started coming on. Love and you. that song is one of my favorite songs. The production values on that track are just unbelievable, you know, and it builds to a crescendo. And as it was still building, there was a, an older man in a wheelchair, probably in his 90s. I mean, he was definitely like not sprightly in his 70s and I think it was his son pushing him in the wheelchair and I just looked at that guy and I could not take my eyes away from him to imagine the horrors you know one of the one of the people many of the people that were kidnapped and that were brutally massacred on October 7th did you know a lot of them were holocaust survivors themselves and there are so many survivors that are still with us. Not that many, most of them have died, but the survivors that are still alive or the people that were still alive at the same time and lost their families in the Holocaust, lost their cousins, lost, lost their parents on the other side of the world. They're still here. And I saw him get, he was, he was pushing by and, and I, I don't know, I felt, I felt really connected to him and he didn't have any tears on his face. But then as soon as they were almost out of eyesight, like to the left of the cafe, I saw him take his right fist and just put them up to his eyes. It's beyond, it's beyond humanity that these people in the sunset of their lives, this isn't even about nationality. This is about this is about humanity and depraved humanity. And there's nothing new under the sun. We know that. Darling, I hear you. And I also heard Jonathan yesterday, which is one of my favorite person in Israel. And... I'm with you and my heart is with you. I, I heard you, Jonathan yesterday was like, really, I can see it's, it's the, the story is burning in his guts. And I see now you crying and speaking about it's affect you. It's, it's like in your vein. Yeah. 
Of course, it's through every aspect of my being. I was born into this. It's, that's, that's what intergenerational trauma is. That's what... But for me, I, I don't feel so relate to the... To, I don't, to the Jewish story. Even though I've been a fighter in the military, I was raised by a second generation Holocaust survivor. I'm afraid we, we, we tell just one side of the story. Like on the one hand, I want a revenge of what happened and I'm really angry about the people who do this horrible thing. I really want I, I, I want justice. But on the other hand, I think I become more and more like left wing. I'm becoming more sure that like we did something wrong. It's also our fault. And I hope that the podcast could show like both sides. Like I'm sure right now there is two people like us in Gaza that are you know, hate the situation, you know, and they just want to talk about it and they don't want, and they don't want Hamas and they don't want like wars. I, I'm really sure about that. It does. It's, it's an interesting point about the guilt, the Jewish guilt for what's going on. I think most of my life and especially growing up abroad, I mean, I remember I was at this like summer camp for nerds at Duke University when I was 12 and my roommate was from like some tiny town in Georgia and she was a Southern Methodist and she asked me where my horns were. Maybe the difference between us is that I grew up abroad and I dated non-Jewish people and they said anti-Semitic shit, but they were like, we love the Jews. You know what I mean? Like, and I still held space for everyone and I still felt like Holocaust Remembrance Day could be more about genocide prevention for all peoples. What I'm talking about now, in terms of left and right, like, I want to sidestep that for a second. I am 100% of the view that there are definitely, definitely innocent civilians in Palestine that need to be freed from Hamas. It's a genocidal organization with respect to their own people. They're weaponizing their own people in this, the leadership, the leadership that's sitting comfortably, super wealthy, like billions of dollars in net worth in Qatar. They're not even fucking there. Arafat was like living abroad for a lot of his life, right? And his family was living abroad. And the cycles of violence that everyone keeps talking about, well, guess what? Cycles of violence are also used by people from the outside to kind of explain away conflict. When the Rwanda genocide was unfolding in the 90s, people kept talking about how these were ancient cycles of violence. They were not ancient cycles of violence. The Hutus and the Tutsis, those were ethnographic and racial divisions that European colonizers themselves had invented, not like, what, 100 years before the genocide? Meaning the divisions between the people came from outside of the people and then were used to explain away the violence so that the international community could say, oh, well, you know, they've been at it for such a long time. We don't need to get involved. There's nothing for us to stop here. It's too big. It's never going to end. And cycles of violence itself, I started looking up. It's a term that came about. In, it's like a concept that was 
founded in the 12th century by, I, I think, like an Arab thinker. You know, it's, it's a concept. But you know what other thing has been around for a long time? Hatred against fucking Jews. And I can assure you that if we didn't have a Jewish state, they'd find another fucking reason in the middle of a global recession and everything that's going on in the world to fucking hate us. That has been a constant forever, for centuries, for millennia, there is Jewish hatred. And yes, what's going on here is super fucking sad. I cry when I watch the news to see like, I watch about the kidnapped families. I went to the silent demonstration and held a sign of one of the, the kidnapped two days ago in central Tel Aviv. And I held back the tears because who am I to be crying there when the families are, you know, there and they're trying to hold hope. And, you know, the motorcyclists of Israel came by and they're all rallying. And you could see a guy wearing a my brother was, is kidnapped in Gaza shirt, handing out yellow ribbons between cars and, and, and still keeping his morale up and smiling. So who am I to cry? But I've been crying about so much of this. But if we are going to start talking about cycles of violence here, then let's fucking call a spade a spade. There is a lot of fucking Jew hatred and that's not new. And when the Nazis had their final solution, why did they call it a final solution? Because they wanted to solve something that they felt nobody else had properly done the job finishing us. It was called the final solution because all the other solutions that preceded the Nazis failed. And you know where Hitler got a lot of his inspiration from? It was from American eugenicists. A lot of them lived in New York fucking city. So enough, you know, yes, this is also about this conflict, but let's just peel back the layers of this fucked up onion. Let's talk about the British fucking mandate. Let's talk about the white paper. Let's talk about the commissions. Let's talk about how the U.S. couldn't change its fucking war strategy and didn't even get involved until later in the game. What, two years after Hitler had invaded Poland? Let's talk about appeasement theory. Let's talk about everything. But this whole insistence on we're going to look at this one side of suffering, we're not even going to hold space for both sides of suffering. And then even amongst the Jewish people, we're not even going to hold space for our own people's suffering. And we're going to keep being uncomfortable so everyone else can be comfortable right now. And we're going to show everyone how, how guilty we are and that we're good Jews because good Jews don't deserve to be died. But even when they're massacred and even when we have the evidence, people are fucking rejoicing. That is a disturbing cycle of violence, don't you think? Why do the borders in Africa and the Middle East have straight lines? If anyone is listening to this and if anyone thinks that this is just an issue here, and that if anyone thinks that this isn't just a fucking cover up because the British Empire was so complicit, not only in these fucking and they're not even age old divisions tearing through this beautiful country, tearing through these people that shared lives together then just do a little bit more fucking research and turn the dial back before 48 and look at 1900 and look at the 19th century. And then while you're at it, just look, just look at the Christian blood libel against the Jews. Just open the, the, the box a little bit wider, a little bit wider, because this isn't something that I get to go to Whole Foods and, you know, debate online and open when I open Instagram. This is my lived fucking reality for 38 years. I was born into this. And for the people in Israel who think I don't know enough, I was born into an Israeli family abroad 
and it was isolating and it was maddening because there was no one that looked like me on TV and there still isn't anyone that looks like me on TV. And Ilana fucking Glazer, shout out to you too for calling us an apartheid state. Maybe you can get a law degree while you're at it and do a little bit of fucking research before you take all of us down as a way of salvaging your career or keeping it going or being on the quote unquote right side of whatever industry it is that you're still trying to get money from. I can't even think about allyship that's really that willing to throw other bodies and women's bodies and teenage girl bodies under the bus in the name of what? In the name of Whole Foods activism or whatever the fuck we're going to come up with the name for this shit? I can't turn this off. I can't turn it off in my dreamscape. I can't turn this off. My parents can't turn this off. They don't even live here anymore. So am I going to walk around more with more guilt after my whole life? I felt like Maybe if we had done something differently, maybe, maybe I'll be a good liberal. Maybe I'll be understanding of all people and my understanding is going to solve stuff. Guess what? It's not that novel. There were so many pacifists in the 30s that said, we're going to curb Hitler by appeasing him. We're just going to stay quiet and we're going to show everyone that we're peace loving. That didn't save the fucking war. That didn't end the genocide. And you can have all the goodwill in your heart as much as you want. I don't want to be here, but I'm not going to say because I don't want to be here, I'm going to pretend it doesn't exist and that all of the peaceful kind of protests are going to like help change it. It's not. There are literally bad actors here running around. If 2000 terrorists came into the States, it would be crazy. If on 9-11, some of the first responders were actually jihadists and they kidnapped people and they brought them back into New Jersey and then they started firing rockets at Manhattan and then part of Manhattan had to volunteer and mobilize and get their shit together and be soldiers and then go into this war and then show people the evidence. But then people in Canada and Toronto were telling them that they were full of shit and that they didn't know what they were talking about. You guys would be losing your fucking minds. There are school shootings and I am one of those people saying, let's get the guns out. I grew up next to Parkland High School. I'm outraged by the school shootings. I want there to be gun control. Where is there room for me amongst the Democratic Party? Why do I have to go to Fox News now? I will never forgive you progressive fucks for this. What's next? I'm going to be watching like One America Network. I've had it with the hypocrisy. And I, 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 I'm so unfocused because I, if, I, if I focus on that rage, it's, 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 If I just focus on that rage, then they win. And if I sit in the corner and I just cry, then they win. And I'm sorry if this is too messy for you to handle, but I am done with a bunch of fucking privileged people telling me that I'm too messy, that I don't make sense, that I need to get it right because they're still in control. And if you still don't understand that you're being distracted and torn against your other people when the people who are in charge have still been behind all of this shit, and that all of this shit didn't come out of fucking nowhere, then wake up. I am begging you to just wake up. Now I'm going to put a sound of drop the mic. <laughs> I'm crazy. <laughs> They're going to think I'm crazy. I want to dedicate a song for you. <laughs> Sorry. By you too. <laughs> no. <laughs> By Lady Gaga.
Bad romance. No, <laughs> I born this way, of course. <laughs> I think it's fit, no? Yeah. Do you think people are going to listen to the beginning of the episode if it was so unfocused? Do you think they're going to make it to the end? The one who stayed till now, Erviach. Can you translate it? Yeah, this far, one second. I also wanted to say that all these people that think that they're like gonna get rid of like this feeling that Jews have that like people hate us, like that feeling is stronger than ever now. Like that's literally what this is leading to. You know what I mean? No, but I'm with you. I love you. אני מנסה לחשוב על איך לתרגם את זה. Whoever made it this far is a winner and we appreciate you big time. And anyone that didn't make it, well, I guess, שלחו להזדיין. אמן. אמן. Let's sing. I'm beautiful in my way. Are you ready? I'm beautiful in my way. Cause God makes no mistakes. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Don't hide yourself in regret. Just love yourself and you're set. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Ooh, there ain't no other way. Baby, I was born this way. Baby, I was born this way. Born this way. Ooh, there ain't no other way. Baby, I was born this way. I'm on the right track. Baby, I was born this way. Credit. Thanks to Shema, Jonathan Gall, Maya Schlesinger, Dor Comet, I couldn't ask for a better co-host than you, co-producer. Co. I'm Amy Sapan. Thanks so much for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned. <laughs>